is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hello, dear. Hello, dear. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Mayfair Witchcast. Today, we are finishing up chapter 31 and doing most of, hopefully, all of chapter 32. We'll see how that goes. But first, babe, what do you remember from last time? Terrible. Brain fart. Well, I don't know. I mean, was this... No, you're going to have to give me a recap. Okay. Um, Darfs. Oh, touch and squishy heads? That's... Yeah, okay. and dolls. Touched everything. He fondled everything. He also, um, he's seen some some ghosts of the Mayfair's past. Saw Lasher, heard Lasher, started smashing jars. Yeah, touching gross heads. We ended with him falling asleep. And the last thing he heard was the comforting sound of breaking glass. And that's where we stopped. So, the next part of chapter 31 begins with, when he awoke, Aaron was there. So, Rowan's brought him his shit. She helps him get ready. His muscles ache. His hands are burning. Uh, He feels just, like, awful. He pulls on his gloves and takes a swallow of beer. Looks at them both and he goes, I'm not going to get drunk. Rowan starts to explain to him how his heart had been racing and that a pulse reading like that is something you'd expect after a man had run a four-minute mile. It's important that he gets rest, not take off the gloves again, and he is fine with this. He's like, okay, by me. So the three of them go back to the hotel. Michael tells them everything. How he's getting flashes even before he took off the gloves. Because he was. He was kind of getting the visions back. Tells him about seeing Julian and about seeing Lasher and hearing the prophecy again. And then about seeing Belle at the end. Aaron stays silent through the whole thing. And when Michael finishes telling them, he gets up and he gets another beer. He says he still doesn't know why he's involved any more than before, but he knows they're there in that house. You remember Cortland. He said he wasn't one of them, and Belle said to me she wasn't one of them. If he didn't imagine it. He goes on about how there are others that are part of it, and they're there, and that things altered matter just a little, but it did. It possessed the dead bodies, and it worked on the cells. 
It wants Rowan. He knows it does. It wants to use her power to alter matter. Rowan has more power than any of the ones before her. And she knows what the cells are and how they operate and how they're structured. Because remember the heads had been changed to look like a young, handsome, brown-haired white man. Like some of the hair had turned. There was blotches of skin oh, yeah, turned. Yeah. yeah, okay. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Rowan knows how these to do this like so she's super what he wants this is what he wants Rowan's startled by this Aaron explains that after Michael had gone to sleep Rowan called Aaron and asked him to come and he brought crates of ice when they packed up all the specimens in the attic together and they had opened each jar photographed the contents and then packed it away Ew, Talmaska. It's laid up, crew. Well, not exactly. We'll get to that later. <laughs> the specimens are now at Oakhaven, frozen. They'll be shipped to Amsterdam in the morning. This is, of course, what Rowan wanted. Aaron's also removed all Julian's old icky books and the old scary dolls. And they're all going to go to the mother house in Amsterdam. But Aaron's going to photograph all the dolls first and examine the books. Of course Rowan had agreed to all this or it would not happen. So far the books are just ledgers. Nothing crazy or important. No autobiographies like we've heard there were. And if there are, they're not in that attic room. Michael's a little bit relieved to know that the, all that shit's gone. And he's on his fourth beer now. I don't know how he's going to recover if he's getting hammered. That's not going to help. He doesn't care what they think, though. He just wants one night's peace. What's one more beer now? Besides, they're here in the hotel. They're safe. It's quiet. Finally. Michael asks Rowan how she is after all this craziness. And he's like, I must have scared you to death. Do you wish you'd followed your adoptive mother's advice and stayed in California? And she's like, you, you don't scare me, but I'm thinking, like, all the wheels in my head are turning. It's the strangest mixture of elements, this whole thing. And he's like, explain. She says that she wants her family, her cousins, all 900 of them or whatever, how many there are. She wants the house. She wants the history. But she doesn't want this thing, this mysterious evil thing. She doesn't want it, but Michael's like, it's like I told you, it's irresistible. She's like, no, not irresistible, but seductive. Aaron pipes in with, and dangerous. <laughs> so I think we are most certain of that now than ever. I think we know we are talking of a creature which can change matter. Rowan's not so sure. She's examined the things. The changes were insignificant, just on the surface tissue. And he's like, but what about the one with the face like Lasher? The duplicate. She shakes her head and she's like, there's no evidence for that. Maybe it's just a look-alike. Julian looked like Lasher, remember? Like, again, changes were only skin deep. 
possible to tell. I don't know why she's not super impressed by this. I don't... <laughs> Michael agrees. He's like, all right, and what about that? Like, have you ever heard of such a thing? We can do that. What do you... We're not talking about, like, a blush. <laughs> she's like, you know what the mind can do. I don't have to tell you. People can control their bodies in many ways. Like, they can make themselves die if they want to. Make themselves levitate. Still their heart rates, raise temperatures. That's all well documented. She goes on about stigmata. You know what that is? Uh, not really. The, the wounds like Jesus. Yeah. They People do, claim to have. Yeah, they claim it happens like immaculately. And like they can like make it happen. Apparently. Matter is subject to mind. When this thing materializes, it has a solid body. At least it seems solid. So the thing changed. The subcutaneous tissue of a corpse. Of a, the subcutaneous tissue of a corpse. I love how I can get subcutaneous out, but not corpse. <laughs> it wasn't even a live body, from what you've told me. It's all rather crude and imprecise. She's super unimpressed. Like, whatever. It did this thing. Michael's amazed by this, of course. Rowan's like, why? And he's like, I don't know, I'm sorry, but I have, like, this horrible feeling that it's all planned, and who you are, and you're brilliant, you're a doctor, it's all planned. She tells him to calm down, there's too many flaws in this plan, nothing's planned, consider the history. Michael thinks that Lasher wants to be human, that that's the meaning of what it said to Peter Van Abel and to him. Do you remember his little... I shall be yeah, some weird flesh when you are no longer but whatever. Yeah. Fucking riddle. <laughs> yes, his little riddle warning prediction. And he thinks it wants Rowan to help it. Like Stuart Townsend said to Aaron, it's all planned. Aaron says, yes, but it's a mistake to overinterpret that dream. And I think Rowan's right. You can't assume that you know what the plan is. And for what it's worth, I don't think this thing can become human. It wants to have a body, perhaps, but I don't think that it would ever be human. Michael's like, oh, that's beautiful. Just beautiful. It planned everything. Like, for Rowan to be taken away, that's why it killed Cortland. For Rowan to be kept away until she's become not only a witch, but a witch doctor. It planned the very moment of her return. Rowan's like, but again, why did it show itself to you? If you're to intervene, why did it show itself to you? He sighs. Thinks about his pleas to Deborah, touching the doll of Deborah and not seeing her. And then, like, the delirium comes back to him a little bit while he's thinking about it. He thinks of the mystery of the doorway and of the spirit's strange words. I see the 13. Rowan's all like, I'm going on with my own plan. I'm going to claim the legacy, the house, and I still want to restore it. I want to live in it, and I won't be deterred. And this being, no matter how mysterious he is, is not going to get in the way of that. She told him. It's overplayed its hand. 
So she's looking at Michael like she's angry. She's like, are you with me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm with you. I love you. And you're right. And we can start on the house whenever you want. And I want that too. <laughs> she's pleased. Michael asks Aaron what he thinks. What is his role in this? What's his, what's Aaron's interpretation? Aaron says that what's important is that you interpret. That you regain an understanding of what has happened to you. Because <laughs> he has no certain interpretation of anything. And this may sound frightfully strange to you, but as a member of the Talamasca, as the brother of Peter and Arthur and Stuart, he's already accomplished his goal. He's made contact with both of them. The Mayfair history has been given to Rowan. He has some knowledge to assist him now, even though it's not a lot. Michael, like, grumpily says that they're just a bunch of monks. He lifts his beer up in a toast, and he's like, we watch and we are always here. <laughs> Aaron, why did all this happen? Aaron laughs and shakes his head, and he says... Michael, Catholics always want us to offer consolations to the church. We can't do it. I don't know why it's happened. I do know that I can teach you to control the power in your hands, to shut it off at will so it stops tormenting you. Michael's like, yeah, maybe, but right now I wouldn't take these gloves off to shake hands with the President of the United States. Aaron's like, well, when you want to, I'm at your service. I'm here for both of you. And he's like, I don't have to warn you to be careful, do I? Rowan's like, no, but what about you? Has anything else happened since the traffic accident? Remember that? Aaron was in an accident. Feels like forever ago. Little things have, but they're not important. It might have been his imagination, but he does feel like he's being watched and menaced. Rowan goes to interrupt, but he like gestures for her silence. And he's like, I have my guard up. I've been in these situations before. Goes on. Look pretty much like you don't have to worry about me. You feel safe. I'm a fucking Talamasca. <laughs> Rowan's like, well, you know, if it hurts you, that's a mistake. Because she'll never address it again. She'll never talk to it. And she'll try to kill it. Aaron reflects on that. And he's like, do you think it knows that, Rowan? She's like, yeah, possibly. But like everything else, it's a puzzle. Can't be solved like a labyrinth and she honestly doesn't know what it wants but she does believe that Michael's right it wants a human body there seems no doubt of that what it knows and what it doesn't know she can't say I don't know what it really is I don't guess anyone knows Aaron is like there's no doubt it will approach you of course you realize this I doubt it's keeping it at bay but simply waiting for a proper opportunity. Michael feels uh, like crippling jealousy and anger at this. She asks Aaron, what would you do? Aaron's like, I'm not sure, but I cannot emphasize enough that it is dangerous. And she's like, well, the history told me that. And it is treacherous. <laughs> she's like, the history told me that too. Do you think I should try to make contact with it? Aaron is like, no, I don't. 
Let it come to you. That's the wisest thing to do. And for the love of God, try to remain in complete control always. There's no getting away from it, is there? She's like. And Aaron responds with, I don't think so. And I can make a guess as to what it will do when it approaches you. It will demand your secrecy and your cooperation. Or it will refuse to reveal itself or its purpose fully. Michael's like, it'll divide us. Aaron's like, exactly. They're like, why do you think it will do that? Aaron says, because that is what I would do if I were it. What's the chance of driving it out? Like a straight up exorcism, they ask. And Aaron's like, I don't know. Those rituals certainly do work, but he himself doesn't know how to make them work. And what effect it would have upon it, he doesn't know. This thing is a remarkable thing. This being is a monarch among its kind, a sort of genius. This makes Rowan laugh a little. Aaron goes on and says, it's so cunning and unpredictable. I'd be dead right now if it wanted me to be dead, yet it doesn't kill me. Aaron warns Michael again not to challenge it. Rowan says it knows that she would hate it if it did. Aaron thinks that that's probably why it hasn't gone any farther. And now, now they're back at the beginning, and whatever you do, Rowan, never lose sight of the history. Consider the fate of Suzanne, and Deborah, and Stella, and Antha, and Deirdre. Maybe if we knew the full story of Marguerite and Catherine, or Marie Claudette, or others from Saint-Domingue, their stories would be just as tragic. And if one character in the drama can be held responsible for so much suffering and death, it is Lasher. And I was like, God, I wish it would just go away. Aaron responds, that would be too much to ask for, I think. Takes out his pocket watch, gets up. He's like, I'm going to leave you now. I'll be upstairs in my suite if you need me. They're happy he's just staying in the hotel. He's like, I have to go look at Julian's books upstairs just now and... Michael asks, let me ask you one more thing. When you were in the house, what did it feel like? Aaron gives a little laugh, shakes his head, and he says, I think you can imagine. But one thing did surprise me, that it was so beautiful, so grand, and yet so inviting with all the windows open and sun coming in. I suppose I thought it would be foreboding, but nothing could have been farther from the truth. And Rowan asks, how long will it take, Michael, to bring it all back? He's like, not long. It'll be done by Christmas, and he really wants to do it. If only he could just lose this feeling that it's all planned. Rowan kind of angrily says, like, forget about that. Aaron tells him to, like, get a good night's sleep and then proceed with what you really want to do with the estate, the house, all the good things you want to do, and be on guard. Be on guard always. When our mysterious friend approaches, insist upon your own terms. Rowan walks Aaron to the door. When she comes back, she puts her arm around Michael. And he's like, I'm scared, Rowan. And I hate it. I positively hate it. I know, Michael, she said. But we're going to win. And that is where that part of this chapter ends. Right there. Yeah, as long as you don't have any questions or anything. Nope. 
Okay, yeah, we'll take a break. We'll be back with the next part of chapter 31. We are back with the next part of this chapter. It begins with, That night, after Rowan had been asleep for hours, Michael got up, went into the living room, and took one of the notebooks out of his ballast, which Aaron had given him at the retreat house. I assume this is some type of carry folder, briefcase thing. He writes everything down. He writes down everything he can remember. The beginning of the catastrophe when he held Deirdre's nightgown in his hand. He writes, same drums as the Kalmas parade, or any such parade. The point is, an awful frightening sound. A sound to do with some sort of dark and potentially destructive energy. He also remembers that at Rowan's house... After we made, they made love, he woke up thinking that the place was on fire and that there were all kinds of people downstairs. But he remembers now it was the same ambience, the same lurid sort of light, the same sinister quality. But Rowan was just down there by herself and she lit a fire in the fireplace. But it's the same feeling. Fire and people. Many, many people. A commotion and flickering light. He recognized Julian when he saw him upstairs. He also saw Charlotte and Mary Beth and Antha, poor tragic Antha, scrambling over the roof. But they weren't in his visions, none of them. And Deborah wasn't there. She's just a crumpled body on the pyre. That's all he saw. She wasn't standing there with them. Now, surely that means something, right? He reads what he's written, and he's like, Deborah's not one of them. That's why she isn't there. He goes on to describe the rest of what he saw. Antha wearing the cotton dress and a patent leather belt when she crawled across the roof. How she's tore, he saw her tear her stockings and her knees bleeding. The unforgettable part is her eye torn out of the socket. He heard the sound of her voice. He'll carry that sound to the grave with him. And Julian looked as solid as she did while he was watching. Julian wore all black, and he was young. Not a boy, but a vigorous man. Not an old man. Even when he saw him in his bed, he didn't appear as an old man. And there's another thing that Lasher said that was new. Something about patience, about waiting. And then there was that mention of the 13. 13 what? It's a number on a doorway. He hasn't seen it. The jars? There weren't 13 jars. There were more, like 20, but he'll verify this with Rowan. And the thing didn't say anything about a doorway, just his threat that he'd be dead while he'd be flesh and blood. Dead tombs, something Rowan said the other day. Something about a keyhole doorway carved on the Mayfair tomb. And he's like, I'll go there tomorrow if the number 13 is carved somewhere on the doorway. I hope to God it brings me more enlightenment than what happened today. (laughs) But he's like, no matter what, he's going to begin some serious work tomorrow. And so does she. She has to go downtown and meet with Ryan and Pierce and do legal shit about the legacy. He starts to talk to contractors about the house. Real, true, honest work on the house. And he's like, let's see how Lasher likes it. 
Let's see what he chooses to do. He leaves his notebook on the table and he goes back to bed. He wakes Rowan up a little bit. They whisper, I love yous. And they settle back into sleep. And that's where that little short part of that chapter ends. And that is the end of chapter 31. So short little wrap up after Michael's tragic experience. Look at that, he's a little bitch now. Why do you say that? Yeah, he's acting like a little bitch. Traumatized. What would you? I mean. You should have expected that. I mean, yeah, probably. That's my opinion. Michael, a little bitch. So you don't think he's he's handling this well? No. Chapter 32 is a Rowan chapter. So it's kind of from her point of view, where the previous one was kind of from his point of view. It begins with the legacy. It had come into her mind sometime during the night. A half dream of hospitals and clinics and magnificent laboratories peopled by brilliant researchers. And all of this you can do. But they wouldn't understand the cousins. Michael and Aaron would understand. But the rest of them, they just don't, they don't know all the secrets of the file or what had been in the jars. They don't know what goes all the way back to Suzanne of the Mayfair, the midwife and healer in her filthy Scottish village. Or Jane Van Abel at his desk in Linden drawing his clean ink illustrations of a flayed torso. They don't know about Marguerite and the dead bodies or Julian watching. Julian, who'd put the jars in the attic instead of destroying them almost a century ago. But Aaron and Michael knew, and they would understand. Her dream of, like, hospitals and clinics and laboratories, of healing hands laid upon sore and aching bodies by the thousands. She's like, what a joke on you, Lasher. Rowan has all this money, and she's not afraid of being rich. She's not intimidated by money. She never has been. She's not afraid of this legacy. She's going to build hospitals and shit. And she's going to save lives. Just like she's always has. She wishes she could forget about the old woman she killed. Thinks about the history. And then italics it reads. We want in, old woman. I want my house and my family. The jars have been smashed and the contents are gone now. I have the history in my hand. Brilliant as a jewel. I shall atone for it all. Let me in so that I can fight the battle. So I guess this is her speaking to Carlotta. Who's assuming she's there? She probably is. And she wonders why they weren't friends, her and Carlotta. Because Rowan hates this evil spirit just as much as she did. So the spirit knows she loved it. She thinks about how yesterday she sat alone for hours waiting for Lasher, listening, saying, if you think you can frighten me, you are tragically mistaken. I have no fear of you and no love either. You are mysterious, yes, and I am curious, but that is a very cold thing for a scientific mind such as mine. Very cold. You stand between me and all the things I could love warmly. She thinks about how she should have destroyed the jars. She should never have urged Michael to take off the gloves, and she won't do it again, not anytime soon. Michael can't endure it. It made him suffer. She doesn't want to see him like that. She thinks about how it was the drowning that brought them together, not these mysterious dark forces in this house. 
not the jars. It's his strength and her strength that had been the origin of their love. And their future was the house, the family, the legacy, which could bring the miracles of medicine to thousands, even millions. So it's six o'clock when breakfast gets there. There's a newspaper with it. Big headline. Skeleton found in famous garden district house. She's like, well, that was inevitable, wasn't it? She scans over their article. It's quite amusing to her. It talks about the house always being associated with tragedy. Then it goes on all about Carlotta, which makes Rowan feel very guilty. She thinks that the Talamasca is probably like clipping out this story right now to file it away. <laughs> she is strangely, oddly comfortable with the file existing and them doing this. Because she knows no matter what happens, she's a Mayfair among Mayfairs. I remember before, she's like, this file is a gift. Like, she's so happy to have it. She's not alone. She starts to wonder if she should, like, let herself grieve for a moment about Carlotta. Like, she's been through a lot of emotions in a very short period of time. Like, the day before, when Michael was lying on the bed after his touching rampage, his pulse was racing and his face was flushed and she was frantic. She's thinking, like, I, if I lose him, I'll die too. And then half an hour later... She'd broken one jar after another, spilling the contents and poking it with an ice pick as she examined it before handing it over to Aaron to be packed in the ice. Clinical as any doctor, no difference at all. So ups and downs and yeah, been a crazy ride. Crazy ride for Rowan. Then she starts to go into, like, very great detail about how hot Michael is and all the things she likes about him and what she wants to do to him. How she's gonna ask him to marry her as soon as it's polite. Michael, by the way, is currently sleeping through a thunderstorm. And then the phone starts ringing. It is Ryan and Pierce. They're downstairs. They're ready to take her downtown. She writes a quick note for Michael saying that she's off to do legal business. She'll be back for dinner no later than 6. She says, please keep Aaron with you and don't go over to the house alone. She signs it with love. And then when she looks at him, she says out loud, I want to marry you. <laughs> and he doesn't move. And she says even louder... The Archangel and the Witch. <laughs> He's sleeping. He's out. Sees Ryan and his son. Looks at them like they're aliens from another universe. Like they're there to guide her to a spaceship disguised as a limousine. And that's where the next, this part of the chapter ends. The next part begins with the small quaint brick building of Carondelet Street? Carondelet Street. I don't... Carondelet? Carondelet? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Listeners, feel free to let me know if you know. Glided past in a curious silence. The sky, 
like polished stone beyond the delicate downpour, the lightning opening a vein in the stone, the thunder crackling menacingly and then dying away. Well, in, in this normal-ass-looking law firm, they talk about boring legal things and money and tracts of land that have been owned for over a century and real estate placed all over the world. Everyone's like, real estate? Like, for hospitals? <laughs> and such? She thinks, like, so, this file I was giving, given, was accurate. She already knows this is coming. She wonders why Aaron and Michael were so afraid to give it to her. Then she thinks it's because they didn't understand power. That was their problem. They never sliced into a cerebellum. Like, they ain't shit. <laughs> and this legacy was a cerebellum, wasn't it? So Ryan, you know, the one legal lawyer cousin is still going on. There's a bunch of other legal lawyer cousins in this room. He goes on to say, realistically, think in terms of a small oil producing nation. And I do not exaggerate. He continues to say things like, the expansion is virtually unstoppable. Rowan eventually interrupts his long, long... Thing here with you're talking billions silence passes through everybody she's like oh th is this like a yankee blunder she's like did i fuck up <laughs> <laughs> she catches no vibration of dishonesty just confusion and fear of her and what she might do after all they were mayfairs weren't they they were scrutinizing her as well as she was scrutinizing them Pierce is, like, looking at his father, like, oh, shit. <laughs> Ryan's looking at the others. She speaks up again. This is billions in real estate alone. Ryan's like, well, actually, yes. That's correct. Billions in real estate alone. He is um, embarrassed and uncomfortable. They all seem embarrassed and uncomfortable. As if a strategic secret has been revealed. And then Randall, who is the grandson of Garland... He's an old man, meets eyes with Rowan, and answers her silently in her mind. Of course you don't understand. How could you? How many people can understand? And so you'll want to control, and for that, you are a fool. So she clears her throat, ignoring everything that's going on. And she's like, you're underestimating me. I'm not underestimating you. I only want to know what's involved here. I cannot remain passive. It would be irresponsible to remain passive. Again, there are moments of silence. Ryan goes on calmly. But what we're really talking about, to be completely practical here, you understand, is that one can live luxuriously on a fraction of the interest. And he goes on about capital and reinvestment, etc. If you follow me, without the capital ever being touched in any incidents for any reason. She's like, again, I cannot be passive, nor complacent, nor ignorant. I do not believe that I should be any of those things. Again, there is silence in the room. And it is again Ryan who speaks. 
And he's like, well, what do you want to know? To which she's like, everything. The nuts, the bolts. Perhaps I should say the anatomy. I want to see the entire body as if it were stretched on a table. I want to study the organism as a whole. They're all looking at each other. And he's like, well, that's reasonable, but it's not that simple. And she's like, yeah, but there has to be like a beginning and an end. To which Ryan says, I think you're envisioning this, if I might say so, in the wrong way. And she's like, there's one thing. How much of this money goes into medicine? Are there any medical institutions involved? They are startled. Like this has been a declaration of war. Again, Ryan speaks up. But art philanthropic endeavors have not in the past involved medicine per se. The Mayfair Foundation is more heavily involved with the arts, with education. He talks about educational television, scholarships, charities. All of this, you see, is carefully structured. Ron's like, yeah, I know how all that works, but what are we talking about? Billions? Hospitals, clinics, labs. They're all profit-making institutions. I didn't ask about your philanthropy. She didn't ask about that. She's thinking of an entire area of involvement, which could have considerable benefit and impact on human lives. They're like, well, we did, he's like, well, we did not tend to go into this direction of medicine. It would like require intense study and an entire restructuring. He talks about how there were carefully planned maneuvers. Rose like, yeah, I understand. I really do. But I want information. I want to know everything. She says, perhaps what I want is an apprenticeship, a series of meetings. Again, silence in the room. Randall speaks up, out loud this time. And he's like, you want my advice? You're paying for it, actually, so you might as well have it. Rowan's like, please. He says, go back to being a neurosurgeon. Draw an income for anything and everything you'll ever need. Forget about understanding where the money comes from. Because, you know, you pay us to do this. She studies him. She's like, yeah, he's a nice man. He's not a liar. None of them are liars. And none of them are thieves. They're not stealing her money. But they are all lawyers. Yet, they all have ethics. They are not neurosurgeons. They are not surgeons. They don't think in terms of great goodness or saving thousands or even millions of lives. They can't even... Guess what it would mean if this legacy would do that. If it could be returned to the hands of the Scottish midwife and a Dutch doctor, like, that would mean so much. They don't even know, like, that that's where all this money started. Finally, she's like, what does it amount to? There's, again, silence. Randall speaks up, and he says, you're thinking of it in the wrong way. It's all a great piece, a great web. She's like, I can imagine, but I want to know, and you mustn't blame me for it. How much am I worth? She gets no answer. She's like, surely you can guess. <laughs> They're like, well, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't like to do that because it might be entirely unrealistic if I did it for you from a, to which she says, seven and one half billion. That's her guess. There is silence. Big shock. She's like, oh, I hit close. She's like, perhaps to an IRS figure, which had surfaced in one of those hostile and partially closed minds? 
So when Rowan throws out this number, finally one of the women in the room speak up. This is Lauren Mayfair. She's older. You're in her 70s. She's like, you're entitled to this information. You have every legal right to know what is yours. And I do not speak only for myself when I say that we will cooperate with you completely. But I welcome the chance to talk to you about every aspect of the legacy down to the smallest detail. My only fear is that you're going to tire of this game long before all the cards are on the table. But I'm more than willing to take the initiative and begin. Rowan realizes how fucking patronizing this is. But the legacy has belonged to these people for over 50 years. And they do deserve patience. Yet she could not quite give them what they deserved. She says there really isn't any other way for either of us to go about it. It's not merely morally interesting that I want to know what I'm involved with. It's morally imperative that I find out. The woman chose not to respond. Her eyes widen and she starts shaking a little bit. <laughs> the others at the table are all looking at her. And Rowan realizes that she is the brains of this operation. That she is in charge. And all the time, Rowan thought it was Ryan. She wonders if this woman can possibly perceive what she's thinking. So she sends out, uh, we have been wrong about each other. Then the woman says, may I ask you a question? It's purely a business question. You understand. And I was like, of course. She's like, can you take being rich? Can you handle it? Rowan is tempted to smile. This is so patronizing, so insulting. She can think of any number of replies, but she settled for a simple one. Yes, and I want to build hospitals. <laughs> Again, silence. Lauren nods. She's like, well, I don't see any problem with that. Seems like an interesting idea, and we're here to do what you want, of course. We don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. Rose, like, yeah, she is the brains behind this operation, and she's allowed Ryan and Randall to do all the talking, but she's the one who would be the teacher and eventually the obstacle. No matter. Rowan had what she wanted the legacy and her dream. In fact, she knew it could be done. I think we can talk about the immediate problems now, Rowan says. She's like, you'll need to make an inventory of the possessions at the house. I believe someone mentioned this. Also, Carlotta's things. Someone can come get those. They're like, oh yeah, regarding the house, have you come to a decision? She says, I want to restore it and live in it. And I'll be marrying Michael Curry soon, probably before the end of the year. She's just made this decision. <laughs> She made it for him. Yeah. While he was asleep. <laughs> I will marry you. Bitch. Didn't even ask him <laughs> yet, but you know, she's got plans. And then all of a sudden, it's like a bright light snaps on. And they're like, oh, that's splendid. So glad to hear it. Oh, you don't know what that house means to us. And they're like, I wonder if you know how very happy everyone will be to hear this. 
only Randall is very quiet, and he says almost sadly, yes, that would be very simply wonderful. She's like, but can someone come and get the old woman's things? I don't want to go into in there until it's all done. They're all like, absolutely. She's like, I need a cleaning team, and I need to remove, like, all the mattresses and those jars. Brian's like, oh, those jars, those disgusting jars. And she's just like, I emptied them. <laughs> <laughs> to which the young one, Pierce, is like, what was in them? <laughs> <laughs> she just gives a simple answer of, it was all rotted. But if they can get the stench out and, and take away the mattresses, like, we can start the restoration. Pierce is like, we, we'll handle it. Let me handle everything. He jumps up to his feet and he's like, you want replacement mattresses? They're, they're doubles, aren't they, in those old beds? She's like, yeah, this is great. But you don't need to touch the maid's room. Take Julian's bed. It can be dismantled and stored. And they're like, got it. What else do you need? <laughs> So as soon as she says she's keeping the house, these people do a total, like, fucking 100 flip. Well, is that why they're all, like, butthurt? Well, I think they almost didn't just trust a new person. Yeah. But she said she wanted to stay in the house and live in the house. And she'd be marrying Michael Curry. And she's like, that's enough. I'll, Michael will take care of everything else. Handle the renovation himself. This is when Lauren pipes up with, yes, he is quite successful at that, isn't he? And she instantly realizes that she has made a slip. Rowan is like, oh, they've already investigated him. Had they found out about the power in his hands? Ryan says real quickly, we'd love to keep you a little while longer. We just got a few more papers, some basic documents, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah, let's get to work. Then it's settled. And we'll take you to lunch afterwards. We wanted to take you to Galatory's. If you have no other plans. Sounds wonderful. And so it was begun. And that is where this part of chapter 32 ends. And I think that's a good time to take another break. Again. <laughs> Are you ready for the last part of chapter 32? Yep, so ready. Are you ready for the last part of part two? The file on the Mayfair Witches. I am. It begins with It was three o'clock when she reached the house in the full heat of the day, though the sky was still overcast. The warmth seemed collected and stagnant beneath the oaks. She's here, alone, again. The jars are gone. Thank God. The dolls are gone. And very soon, all the shit that belongs to Carlotta will be gone. She's got keys. Now, she's seen papers pertaining to the house, which had entailed with the legacy in the year 1888 by Catherine. And it was hers and hers alone. And so were all the other billions, which they wouldn't speak of out loud. All mine, she thinks. <laughs> so she runs into a cousin, a young guy who's coming out, he's telling her that all of Carlotta's things have been removed. The cleaning crew is done. 
Rowan learns that Carlotta has been interred, which is the, the term you use for when you're putting somebody in a slot and not burying them in the ground. She finds that out too. She also learns that Aaron and Michael were in attendance for this. She didn't know they were going. <laughs> she assures this young Mayfair cousin that they're going to restore the house and, you know, live there and everything. And after they, she answers his questions about that, she waits for a second and then she asks, what is it you really want to say to me? He kind of shifts his shoulders and sighs, looks up at the house, and he says, I think I should tell you that Carlotta, Carlotta wanted me to burn the house after her death. Rowan's <laughs> like, you're serious. I never had any intention of doing it. I told Ryan and Lauren, I told my parents, but I thought I should tell you. She was adamant. She told me how to do it, that I was to start the fire in the attic with an oil lamp that was up there. Move down to the second floor and start the drapes. And finally come down to the first. She made me promise. She gave me a key. He handed this key to Rowan. He says, you really don't need it. The front door hasn't been locked in 50 years. But she was afraid someone might lock it. Um, she knew she wouldn't die until Deirdre died. Those were her instructions. Rowan's like, when did she tell you this? Many times. The last time was a week ago. Maybe less. Right before Deirdre died. And when they first knew she was dying, she called me late at night and reminded me. Burn it all, she said. And I was like, this would have hurt everyone. And he's like, I know. My parents were horrified. They were afraid she'd burn it herself. Ryan told him to humor her and tell her that he'd do it so that she wouldn't go to some other extreme. Ryan says, this is wise. And he's like, I just wanted you to know. I thought you should know. And she's like, what else can you tell me? He shrugs and he's like, be careful, be very careful. It's old and it's gloomy and it's, it's not perhaps what it seems. She's like, how so? It's not a grand house at all. It's some sort of domicile for something. It's a trap. It's made up of all sorts of patterns. And the patterns from some sort of trap. He's like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm speaking out of the top of my head. It's just, well... All of us have a little talent for feeling things. Rowan's like, I know. He's like, and well, I guess I wanted to warn you. You don't know anything about us. She knows everything about them. Yeah. <laughs> she asks if Carlotta said that about the patterns, about it being a trap. And he's like, no, that's just my opinion. He's come here more than the others. He's the only one Carlotta would see. And sometimes he's only there out of curiosity. He says it's been like a cloud over his life. Rowan asks if he's glad it's finished. And he's like, yes, I am. Then she asks him if he ever saw anything. He thinks for a minute. And he's like, maybe once in the hallway. But then again, could have been my imagination. They both fall silent. He's like, it was nice to talk to you. Call me if you need me. She goes inside the gate. It's empty now. It's quiet. She can smell the pine oil from the cleaners. She goes upstairs and sees all the new mattresses and the sheets and stuff are all neatly folded, stacked up to the side. The floors have been dusted. She can smell disinfectant coming from the third floor. The little chamber of jars is all scrubbed immaculate, except for one deep, dark stain 
Jolien's room has been dusted. The boxes have been straightened and stacked. The bed's dismantled. The books are all nice and straight. Carlotta's room is empty. Everything is all very still. She sees herself in the mirror and scares herself. She goes down to the kitchen. It's been mopped and cleaned. She sees an old black phone. She calls the hotel. She's like, what are you doing? Michael answers with, lying here in bed, feeling lonely and sorry for myself. And he tells her how he went to the cemetery and that he's exhausted. He's still achy all over, like he's been in a fight. He's like, where are you? You aren't over there, are you? She's like, yes, it's warm and empty. And all the old woman's things are gone and the mattresses are gone and the attic is scrubbed clean. He's like, and you're the only one there? Yeah, and it's beautiful and the sun's coming out. He's like, I want to come over. She's like, no, I'm leaving. I'm coming back. I want you to rest. And I want you to go for a checkup. He says, be serious. She's like, have you ever had an electrocardiogram? And he's like, you're going to scare me into a heart attack. He says he has right after he's drowning. His heart's perfect. He says, what I need is erotic exercise in large doses, sustained over an endless period of time. <laughs> Who talks like that? She's like, it depends on your pulse when I get there. He's like, I'm not going for a checkup. And if you're not here in 10 minutes, I'm coming to get you. She's like, I'll be there sooner than that. She hangs up. Then she remembers the thing from the file. She remembers Arthur Langtree saying that when he saw Lasher, his, like, heart skipped a beat and he got all dizzy. But he was old, so you never know. So then she starts walking through the house, just admiring it, taking it all in, you know? Like, this is hers now, and it's, like, clean, and the icky shit is gone. When she goes to the front of the house, she turns and she notices a tall vase full of roses. Like, nice ones. Like, ones for the dead. Like, in a cemetery. Her heart starts pounding. She remembers Deirdre and the flowers from the file. She's like, nah. It was probably just Gerald or Pierce or some cousin. They probably just didn't forgot to say anything. They probably put them in here. But she still, like, finds this shit, like, super ghastly. Like, she don't understand why. Then she realizes that there's something really odd about this bouquet. She's not an expert on roses. But weren't they generally smaller than this? These ones are like large and floppy. And they're like a dark blood color. And the stems and the leaves, the leaves of the roses are invariably almond shaped and they were not the leaves. And these leaves had many points on them. As a matter of fact, there wasn't any leaf on this entire bouquet which had the same pattern or number of points. Strange. Like something grown wild. Genetically wild, full of random and overwhelming mutation. It's just like, they were moving, weren't they? Swelling? No, just unfolding, as the roses often do. Opening little by little until they fall apart in a cascade of bruised petals. She shakes her head. She feels dizzy. She's like, yeah, they're probably, probably left here by Pierce. So she goes on to the front of the house, and then she looks back at the stairs, all the way up there, like where Arthur had seen Stuart. There's nobody there now, no one. And she says out loud, are you afraid of me? She gets, like, excited. 
about this? Talking to it? Or is it that you expect me to be afraid of you and you're angry that I'm not? That's it, isn't it? There's just stillness. She gets a little smile. She goes back over to the roses, picks one from the vase, holds it up to her face to like feel its like softness, you know, like you do with a rose. And she went out the front door. She looks at it some more. It really is just an enormous rose. And the thing is already withering. In fact, the petals are already brown at the edges and curling. She smells it for another slow second and then drops the rose into the garden as she went out the gate. And that is the end of this chapter. It is also the end of this part. So, end of chapter 32, end of part 2. Rowan frolicked away into the sunshine. Not a lot of crazy shit happened, but she's, you know, she got the legal shit under control. House is clean. Flasher left her crazy mutated roses. <laughs> is that your theory? Yeah. What would your theory be? I don't know. I guess. It was dying art. It wasn't dead when they were... She left the house and started dying. Uh, weird. It almost seems like it's over. <laughs> she hasn't seen Lasher yet. Uh -huh. Not for a while. She did. It's hiding from her. But why? Yeah. We still don't know what is going on. Why is Michael there? There's still unanswered stuff, but... Well, we will talk about all of this in greater detail next week when we do our part two wrap-up. Fantastic. So, listeners, now is the time. If you have anything to say about this book at all, or especially part two of this book, let us know. Let us know how it made you feel. What parts made you angry? What parts did you love? How gross was this uh, at the end? And at the beginning, it was quite gross, too, in different ways. What were your theories the first time you read it? If this is your first time, what are your theories now? We really want to know. We want to include it in next week's show. So, you can email us at themayfairwitchcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Mayfaircast. We are also on Instagram. If you have Spotify, you can even leave us a voice message. So, contact us whichever way you want to. We would love it. So, yeah. So, next week we'll be doing our part two wrap up. As always, thank you all very much for listening. And I feel like I don't say enough. Like, thank you, Anne Rice, for writing this crazy story. And we'll talk to you guys next week with part two wrap up. Bye. Bye.